You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Philippians chapter 3. We are drawing to a close in this new year. And as normal as the year draws to a close, I'm going to be very cautious about dipping into my New Year's Eve message. But it will splash out from time to time. But when we look back at the year, as I've said so many times before, is that we can get to a place where we say, thank God that year is over. It's like the whole year was a hassle, but people seem to be saying that every year. And I used to go into the new year and ask people, how are you glad the year's coming to an end? Everybody, yes, amen, and we're ready for the new. And then the Lord checked me one day and said, Every single day as we wake, I have it actually on a card next to my bed so that I remember to say it every day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. And so the same way when we go into a new year, this is the year the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. The last time I spoke, remember we spoke about Rejoicing in a situation. You don't thank God for the situation, but even in it, you give God thanks. In that thanksgiving, you evoke faith. And so when we look at the year, we know when we entered into the year, we had huge expectations. And we were talking about relationship, restoration, and reconciliation. A family of God, I don't know about you, but I have drawn much closer to the Father than I've ever been before. I've always been close to him since I've been saved. And you think, is this the best that's ever going to be? How you know one day you will be in heaven and stare right into his face? So every day is one step closer and closer and closer to that moment. And so we've seen restoration of many, many people getting saved, many people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's when we talk about reconciliation, getting people saved, getting them united with their father. And of course, restoration. Well, we know many, many people have experienced loss in so many different areas of their lives. But thank God that He is a God of restoration. Every time people turn to God, no matter how bad it was, even if it was their own fault, if they went before God and repented, He immediately moved in and restored them beyond what they were even before. That's the whole message of the gospel all the way through. You track it. Not once does God turn around and say, no, not this time. You've just gone too far, and I'm going to leave you the way you are. Every time they repented, he brought them back, and they saw victory again. Hallelujah. And so what happens is the enemy, instead of looking at the goodness of God and the favor of God and the provision of God and God's protection and his supply, the enemy tries to get us focused on the things that are bad and we're struggling with. And yeah, Paul writes in this letter in Philippians, and he's writing to his partners, and they are, in fact, one of the poorest churches in, the, in, in all of the churches that he planted. And he's encouraging them that because of their partnership with him, there's a blessing involved. And he describes in his own life how he has seen the provision of God, but he's also experienced the destruction and the loss and being hungry and going without. And he says, but you know, in all these things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So family of God, no matter what happens in our lives, when God has given us promises of protection, of provision, of health, all these things, how you know sometimes the enemy comes along and tries to steal that, and the idea is to get our eyes off of God and focusing on the problem and saying, well, God, where are you? How come you didn't? And why did that happen? And, 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 but Paul says, I've been down there. I've been abased. I've been struggling. I've been battling. I mean, this is a man who was stoned to the point of death, if not dead, because he spoke about a man that went to the third heaven. I believe he was speaking about himself because he had been stoned and left for dead, but God brought him back. And I don't think any of us have been that close to persecution. But we've experienced it in different ways, losses in different ways. But he says, you know, the one thing I have noticed, and he's busy describing this, and he's speaking about how false prophets have come in, and people try to distract the church and get involved in other visions and get involved in other things and, and taking away from the direction that Christ is leading his church. And he addresses this, and he says, yeah, listen, if it's people that are questioning your, your authority or questioning the, the gospel or questioning everything, he says, I am one of the most educated men around. If anybody knew the Bible, it was Paul. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and that wasn't a swear word back then. Today we think of a Pharisee as, you know, those, those old stickled religious people. No, the Pharisees were well versed in the scriptures. They knew exactly what the word said. And he says, I got all the degrees that you can imagine. I've been to all the top schools. But then he gets down here in verse 7 says, What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Doesn't matter how successful we are in this world. If we don't have Christ, it is nothing. And he says, I'm prepared to give it all up for one reason, and that is for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everybody say the knowledge, the knowledge of Christ. And he says, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I count them, the King James Version says, as dung. I count it as dung. In other words, whatever I've done, it's, it's, it's a stench. If, if I put any of my trust in my education, my own uh, skills, my own abilities, no, I'm putting all that aside because I want to understand and know Christ. And again, remember, Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. So that I may gain the power of this anointed one, Jesus. And that I may be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Aren't you glad that God's not looking at how good you are? <laughs> if he had to try and measure my goodness to decide if he has a relationship with me or not, I blew it a long time ago. Am you willing to say amen to that? But you see, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And I wasn't made righteous by my own actions. You were made the day you gave your life to Jesus. He called you righteous. He gave you his very own righteousness. Say that I have been made the righteousness of God. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means... 
I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What's he saying? Jesus paid the price for it. I'm going to get it. You've heard me say before when David spoke about a table laid before him in the presence of his enemies, there are no enemies in heaven. God doesn't lay a wonderful table so that one day in heaven you'll have a wonderful time. No, it's right here and now in the earth. And if he is ordained for me to walk in righteousness, I want to walk in righteousness. If he's healed me by his stripes, I've been healed. I want to enjoy that divine life of God. If he has provided my every need, I want to see those needs provided. If he's given angels charge to protect me, I want to see that manifesting. Have you say amen. In other words, whatever Jesus paid for, I don't want to get to heaven one day and find this little stuff on my table. God, how come this didn't happen? How come you didn't do that? And God says, look at your table. It's still full of stuff. Well, how come I didn't see it? It had to be received by faith. And Paul says, yeah, he wants to experience everything that Christ has given him. And then he says in verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. What does that mean? It means he says, I don't even think of myself as having arrived. I'm not yet perfect. I'm still at work. But one thing I do. One thing I do. Have you noticed that when somebody interviews some expert or some great business person or someone that's successful in whatever they're doing, and they'll have like a half an hour interview with that person, and in closing they say, what is the one message you have for everybody? I mean, if someone's about to pass on and they're lying on their deathbed and they're about to pass away, how do you know they're not wondering, has someone fed the cat? Your life suddenly becomes very focused. What is the one thing? What's the last words that are going to come out of your mouth? So here's a man who's been very successful. I mean, he's been persecuted heavily for preaching the gospel. He's planted many, many successful churches. God has used him to write almost two-thirds of the New Testament. The revelation he had was phenomenal. He saw into the righteousness of God. He saw into the glory of God, what the anointing is. He saw what the truth about the gospel is and, and provision and supply and, and everything about angels. I mean, he's... He's, this guy is phenomenally used by God. He, if you ask him, you could, I mean, he could probably write an entire university curriculum and you'd still be going 10 years later with the amount of information this man has. And if he whittles it down, what's the one thing, Paul? What's the one thing in all your attaining? What's the one thing you learned? And yeah, he says, this one thing I do. I forget the things which are behind and I reach forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know why Paul was so successful? Because he learned to draw a line in the sand no matter what has happened to him, no matter how much he was beaten up or stoned or locked up in prison or persecuted or mocked or criticized or called names, no matter what happened in his life, he learned to draw a line in the sand, step over, and that is done. You won't hear it out of my mouth again. 
The only reason he ever brought things up was to educate, to give us a testimony, to teach. You never found him whining and moaning and complaining about what happened. He pressed on. He pressed on. He pressed on. He pressed on. This one thing. Family of God, I want you to know, a lot has happened to you that the devil would want to get you focused on. But I'm here to tell you today from the mouth of God, this one thing, it is over. Put it behind. Yeah, but you don't understand. I, I, I don't have to. I don't have to. I've been through things. And we can start to compare notes if you'd like. But it's not about comparing notes. It's saying, I'm not going to let that drag me down for another year. I'm not going to let that stop me from getting to where Christ has called me. I'm ready to go where He is taking me. I want everything that He has for me. Why is it that we do what we do? What is it that we do? So many people do different things for different reasons. And what is the reason that I do it? Why did we plant this church? You know, when God called Janine and me to come plant the church, I came down, we came down together, we, we had a look around, and, and I noticed that there, were, there was other churches in operation. And Paul's quite clear, don't plant where another has planted Christ. So I didn't want to just come and invade something that somebody else is doing. So I went to God, and there was no doubt He's calling us. I said, but Lord, why are you calling us? They, they, I don't know how many churches there were. I just said to the Lord, I used a number. I don't even remember what it was. But just for example, I said, let's say there are 14 churches. I don't know. I just want to be church number 15. Why are you calling us? And He gave us a very clear instruction to equip believers for the work of the ministry. I had to know why I'm here. Are you with me? Now, with that came a lot of persecution. With that came a lot of struggle and battling. But we had to move on. You press on. No matter what is happening. What is it that you're doing? Why are you doing it? Because this one thing. If I'm focused, if the devil can get me off that one thing. If he can get me to focus on other things, what about this and what about that? And how come this didn't happen? And why did God let that happen? And as long as I do that, I begin to wheel spin. I can't move forward. I need to make a decision. What is that one thing? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 33, seek first that one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. See, so often we can start chasing the things. And yes, when we get saved, it's wonderful to know that, you know, the reason Janine and I got saved was because I saw a miracle firsthand. My wife needed healing and God healed her. And I said, Lord, you, you know, you did that beyond my blasphemy, beyond my anger. Uh, that kind of God I want to know. But then it can be that next time something happens, now someone gets sick and say, but God, I thought you healed. How come that happened? How come that person died? No, I've got to remember God is still healer. But I didn't serve Jesus to be healed. 
You see, when it comes to prosperity, we hear God provides every need. And he, for your sake, He became poor that you might be rich. And He makes grace abound. You'll always have all sufficiency in all things. Abundance for every good work. You sow your seed. You reap a hundredfold. A lot of people say, well, I want to serve God. Hallelujah. But then when trouble hits and all of a sudden they're struggling and battling and they can't make the ends meet and, they, and, and, and they're struggling to, to, to see the provision and it seems like their finances are in a mess, they can turn around and say, but... God, I pulled the heavenly slot machine and no money's come out yet. Is that why we serve God? Are we serving God for prosperity? Are we serving God for the healing? No, why do we serve Him? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added. In other words, we're not supposed to be chasing the things. We're not chasing the healings. We're not chasing the provision. We're not chasing the money. We're not chasing, oh, come on, you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah, we need a job, but um, that's not the reason I'm serving God, just to get the job. I've seen people, they, they serve God, God gives them a wonderful job, and they're blessed, and then they drift away, and then they stop serving God. Then they need another job, so what do they do? They come back and serve God some more, and sure enough, He gives them a job. And then you look a month later, where are they again? And you go, hang on, this is not just, you know, check in so I can get the next thing off God's table. It's seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then the other things will be added. You don't have to chase after them. They come. Hallelujah. So when we talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, God's been dealing with me a lot lately around what is that? What does it mean to serve the kingdom? What, what is the kingdom of God? What is it really that we're talking about here? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, now again, when we speak to Paul, what's the one thing? Yes, Jesus, he's about to leave the earth. He's been there and he's been walking with his disciples for almost three years and he's been teaching the kingdom and seeing wonders and miracles and healings taking place. They've seen bread and fish multiplied, gold out of fish's mouth. They've seen some amazing miracles, dead being raised and things like that. And yeah, he is about to leave the earth. What's the one last thing you want to say, Jesus? What is the most important statement that you're going to leave with us? And he says, yeah, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, family, notice what he says here. He says, go make disciples, not go make converts. This is not just about filling the fish tank. Fishers are men. We're supposed to be going out to get people saved and then... Disciple. What's disciple mean? It is a student, a learner. Notice he says, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Teach them. You know, we can do many, many things in a church and be involved in many, many different activities. But the foundation has to always be the teaching of the Word of God. I mean, we can expect to see miracles, signs, wonders, great moves of God, but the foundation has to always be teaching, always teaching, always the Word of God. We have to decide whether we want to see a, 
you know, flash move of God or we want to see the word taught and then we only had option for one, the word of God needs to be taught. Thank God we have many options. We have many alternatives and we have many opportunities to experience the various things of God. But Jesus, his most important thing was make disciples, teach people, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so we understand that this instruction is not just to the pastor in the pulpit. This is for each and every person. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages. What did he do? He taught in their synagogues. What was he preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. What was he teaching? The kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. But, now hang on now. But changes the subject. But puts a whole new, uh, come on family. Uh, how many of you, you know, someone comes to you and says, now you know you're a great guy and I really appreciate you. I do love you. But that just annihilated what was said. Because you want to find out what the but's for. Now I don't know about you, but if Jesus was teaching today and he expounded on all the kingdom principles, and then had a great healing line and multitudes were healed. I would say that's a powerful service. That would have been a powerful meeting. And so he just got through a power meeting. But, listen to what he says now. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Everybody say compassion. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. It bothers Jesus when there are sheep without a shepherd. He doesn't just want sheep. You get people today, they get offended for some reason with, with somebody at church. They get offended over some issue and they think, well, I don't need the church. I don't need the organization. It's just me and Jesus and I can worship Jesus from home. And just worship Him and praise Him. If I need to, I can go online. And, you know, I can just spend time with Jesus. That's a sheep without a shepherd. It bothered Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus is my shepherd. Hang on. That's Jesus right there. I said, this is Jesus right Yeah, The shepherd's looking at sheep. And he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And that has a problem. He has a problem with that. that just lift your hand and say, I am a sheep. Of Jesus Christ. And he wants me. To have a shepherd. Thank God. I'm in a house. With a shepherd. He says there. Sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples. The harvest truly is plentiful. The laborers of you. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest. To send out laborers. Into his harvest. So you recognize this is more than preaching from the pulpit. How do we get into the harvest? We're saying, well, we wish we could see more salvations. We want to see revival. Well, that's you and my responsibility. It's up to us, each and every person. And all of us are the laborers. When you leave this door today, 
You didn't go to church and now going home. You've come to a place. You've gathered to be equipped and to be, to be mobilized with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to have your faith built up, to be in a place that you are empowered with Christ, to know Christ. So that when you walk out that door, you are now the church, the set-apart ones in society to lead others to Christ. You are the laborers to go out and find the lost sheep and bring them home to the sheepfold, to the shepherd, so that we can begin equipping and raising them in Christ, discipling them. Teaching them the ways of Christ. Go to John chapter 21. How many of you remember when Jesus was identifying Judas as the one who was going to betray him? And Peter said, Lord, no, no, I will never, I will never let you down. I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, I'll be arrested, and by the time you've denied me three times when the cock crows. When the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter, not, not me. And that, you know the account. Jesus was arrested, and sure enough, Peter denied him three times. Must have left the man heartbroken when he realized what he had done. Have you ever been in that place where you promised God, I'll, I'll never do that again. And vrachis, you did it. Come on, how have you ever been in that place? How's that leave you feeling? It's like not only did you promise you wouldn't do it, now you broke your promise. You did the thing and you broke your promise. Now, you know, but thank God for 1 John 1 9. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and He's just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so now, here's Peter left with us. I still told him I wouldn't, and it's so easy to say, I do know Him. But why did I let it go? Three times. And he's dealing with this remorse. And yet Jesus addresses him and he says in verse 15. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What was Jesus' response? Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. He said to him, a, a what? How many times did he deny Jesus? Jesus is reversing every single one of those statements. He's giving him an opportunity to confess over those things three times. Ask him a third time, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You notice, Jesus is restoring Peter's relationship. But he says, if you really want to show me you love me, I don't need it out of your mouth. I want to see it in your actions. And you want to show me how you love me? You're going to look after 
the sheep. You're going to tend the sheep. You're going to feed the sheep. Everybody say, disciple. And that same Peter, who could not confess Jesus during a time of pressure, was then baptized with the Holy Spirit and power in Acts chapter 2. And he gets up in verse 14, standing up with the eleven, he raised his voice and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Praise God, I see visions all the time. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven and above and on signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the awesome day of the Lord. Now what's the purpose of all of this? What's the reason? He says here, verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What reason are we here? Not just to be another church. It's so that we can be a platform and a place to mobilize and equip believers who understand discipleship so that we can go out and gather up the harvest that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's about getting people saved. Verse 40, with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this pervert generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And what did they do after that? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Everybody say fellowship. See, that's that where the discipleship takes place. Meeting together for the purpose of equipping. And notice they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In the apostles' doctrine. That's an important statement because even Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says, you've followed carefully, you followed my doctrine. Notice he didn't say you followed the doctrine. You followed my doctrine. Disciples follow after their discipler. Sheep follow the shepherd. Amen. We follow the word as it's been taught. We're not all going in different directions. More than one vision, you have division. We follow the vision that God's given us. And he says, yeah, follow my doctrine. You followed my manner of life. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith. Everybody say disciple. Long-suffering, love, perseverance, hope. Persecutions and afflictions as well. Which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Don't try and teach me that Paul struggled most of his life. No, God delivered him out of all of his problems. Say amen. 
Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. <laughs> but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of. This one thing, press forward. Forget what's behind, knowing that from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now remember, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. See, we, we want the exciting messages, <laughs> but what about the corrections? Uh, they all there. For why? Instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, say that's me, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Say thoroughly equipped. And so when I'd said to the Lord, why are we here as a church? He led me to this scripture, Ephesians 4 verse 11. God himself gave some. Notice not everyone. Some to be. Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. God gave. God gave. If he gives something, what is that? It's a gift. Your pastor is a gift in your life from God. I'm not talking about the man Allen Bag. He died. It's Christ who lives in me. Are you with me? God gives these gifts into your life. For what reason? Equipping you for the work of ministry. That doesn't mean preaching from a pulpit. Even those that preach from a pulpit. I remember a man of God saying, he was talking to God, and God said to him, just remember, I didn't give you boys churches so that you have a pulpit to preach from. Even my calling. It's not for me to come and demonstrate my gift. It's for the equipping. Anyone that's called to the ministry, these people that just want a ministry, just want the platform, just want a microphone, just want to be made known, that's the wrong reason, the wrong purpose. The reason we are called is to equip believers for the work of ministry. Some people will never ever touch a microphone and do more in the kingdom of God than someone who's up here just trying to sprout their, their skill and their talent. You're getting this. The work of ministry. Now what is the work of the ministry? For the edifying the body of Christ. That we all come to the unity of the faith. The knowledge of the Son of God. A perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we no longer be children tossed to and fro. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Family things will come and things will go. You'll have this latest thing blow up and everybody wants to be a part of that. And then the next thing blows up. Everyone wants to be a part of that. You want to be part of the living Jesus, church of Jesus Christ. Founded in the apostles doctrine. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Notice, the primary reason you were saved was to reconcile you to your father. It was not just to get out of hell into heaven. It was to have a relationship with the father. Now that you have a relationship with the father, he has undertaken 
to make sure your every need is met. That's his promise. You don't have to chase that. Now that I'm saved, my responsibility becomes the work of the kingdom of God. And that is to see every person that is not yet saved as a sheep without a shepherd. And every one of us are given that responsibility to go out and to bring others to Christ. Someone says, but I don't know how to lead people to Jesus. You share your message. You tell them about the love of God. You tell them how much God loves you and how much you've seen Him move in your life. And that He loves them. And if you don't know how to lead them in a, in a prayer, you just bring them yet to church. We'll get the job finished. Just get them in yet. You know, if someone comes yeah, we'll get them saved. And so, family of God, I want to encourage you as this year draws out. No matter how much the devil has tried to distract you from everything through the challenges that you faced. Today, we draw a line in the sand and we step over and say, I forget that. I'm pressing on towards the call of Jesus and I'm working together with my family. God's given me a whole church, a whole family church, a pastor who loves me and teaches me the word of God, a pastor who's who's seen miracles happen in her life and, and, and is able to disciple and together we as a family are going to see powerful things happening. And as we together go out and make disciples, we bring them in to be equipped and trained and taught the Word of God so we can walk faithfully and strong in the work of the kingdom and we can see His kingdom growing and expanding as He builds His church. You and I get to do that together. Hallelujah. Go make disciples. Hallelujah. How are you ready for the next year? We are going to have an awesome time doing it. Amen. You blessed? Does this encourage you? Give our Lord Jesus praise for His Word. Come on, let's stand together. Lift your hand to the Lord and say, Today I've heard the Word of God. That word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer, not a doubter. And I thank you as a hearer of your word. I'm also a doer. Father, I'm so aware of how you are so good. You saved me. You gave me life. And from this day on, I make a decision to seek your kingdom, to know you, to know your ways and that I can manifest it, communicate it, express it in a way that others will desire to know you, that I can lead them to know you, get them saved. All that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I know as they are, I'll disciple them, teach them, Lead them in the ways of Christ. And together, we as a family, continue to grow and expand. You are building your church. Jesus, I answer your call. I am going. I am on my way. I am making disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give Him praise.